Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 15th of November. I'm Robert Barwick, and I'm joined today by Citizens Party leader Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, corrupt cash banned bandits unmasked and ducking for cover, and dairy vote exposes ideological treachery that is killing Australia. So first, corrupt cash banned bandits unmasked and ducking for cover. And today, viewers, Craig, is the 15th of November. Today is the deadline for getting in submissions to the Senate inquiry into the cash ban. Now, so for the viewers of this show, the deadline's already passed, yeah. right? We're, this show won't go out until tomorrow. So we'll, we'll but we, we don't know yet um, what they've got. We'll find that out sometime in the, in the next few days. Um, but we have explosive news about something that's been revealed earlier this week. So um, just wait a few minutes for that. Because first of all, though, I want to give you a financial update. Just to remind people the context and why we're doing this. You know, ultimately, yes, we're fighting for our rights, we're fighting for our civil liberties, but what we have to do is reform the banking system, which is on a precipice, ready to collapse. And everything the government's doing is not making them reform. It's not making them reform. They're doing everything, taking away our rights, taking away our money to help prop them up, right? And that's why it's very important to know where things are at um, financially. So this week, Deutsche Bank, in, a, in an act of um, remarkable uh, unselfconsciousness, <laughs> they have released 20 risks to markets in 2020, a list. Right, I've, I've got it here somewhere. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put some of them up. 20 risks to markets in 2020. Deutsche Bank is not on this list, Craig. <laughs> and right. Deutsche Bank and its derivatives do not make the list, whereas I would put that at the top of the list. But that, be, be that as it may... Um, this is what they, among the bunch of things, you know, repo stuff, US election, trade, trade war, etc. Uh, third last from the bottom is this, house price crash in Australia, Canada and Sweden. And they're right to have that on there, right? Because this is something that we've been warning about for a long time. And this is the issue for the Australian banking system, not just the Australian public with the property market, the Australian banking system. That goes to the exposure, Robbie, that our Australian banks have to overseas borrowings. And it's huge. 60% was the last figure that I understood. So, and the, these, this is short-term debt, you know, under 90 days. So Hundreds of billions of dollars that got to roll over every 90 days. Because they, they can't pay it, they just no. roll it over. But if no. the housing price crash, so the asset values to the banks, because, you know, mortgages are considered, uh, which are lent against, of course, housing prices, they're considered assets to the bank. Yep. Housing prices crash, the asset values go down, that makes the banks insolvent, therefore they're not going to be able to turn over these loans. Yes, and, and if the banks... If the, if the government has not succeeded in pushing up prices, Craig, right, and with all the efforts they've just maybe stalled the fall, mm. right, which we suspect, the media is saying the opposite, but we don't believe them, then our banks are in big trouble. Anyway, so that, that's an issue. Um, in that context, ASIC has revealed a few things this week. ASIC, the, the securities regulator, said yesterday, came out defending itself for the court cases it's pursued to make the banks like Westpac raise their lending standards, right? And um, ASIC said, don't blame us. Don't blame us enforcing the law on responsible lending for low property prices, right? It's, that's got nothing to do with it. 
This is the quote from ASIC. The main reason for slower credit growth has been a decline in the demand for credit. Mm -hmm. In other words, people aren't borrowing. Now, this is very important. If ASIC's right, and we suspect they are, because um, there's lots of other indicators in the real estate market outside of the hype, and the media giving you that hype about prices going up, they're in business with the real estate companies now that make money out of it. They're all part of the same business, like Domain, et cetera, and CoreLogic. Um, so this is key. ASIC saying it's people not borrowing. And that fits with things like when the government handed out this pathetic stimulus the other day through the tax thing. No one spent it, mm. right? Because they're paying down debt and all this mm. kind of thing. You know, that mm. people are, are, are so much drowning in debt that they can't, they're, they're not thinking about, oh, I'm going to go and get into more. The government's trying to whip them up into a frenzy. So they change that st st frame, um, frame of mind, but we haven't seen evidence of that. ASIC also has reported a rise in construction industry insolvencies. So in the three months to September, insolvencies in the construction industry jumped 78% in Victoria, 41% in Queensland, and 7% in New South Wales. That does not fit with a burst in property prices that they're claiming, right? You know, this is not filtering through to the actual industry. They're, 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 um, they're folding like cards, and people have reported in you know, real estate companies are laying off people en masse. Right? There's a slaughter out there. That goes to the truth of the matter of this absolute glut, Robbie, of apartments and you know uh, these high-rise towers and so forth. If you can get a reliable a one, these yeah, that's right. Right, uh, and the point is that this is this is also a cause of it because look, you can't keep selling these properties that the, the thousands, tens of thousands of them has been covered been yep. covered before. No, it, it is it is an support. absolute glut. Um, Yet the, the spruikers in the industry continue to use the word undersupply. Yeah. Right? Anyway, so in terms of insolvencies, 22% of national defaults came from the construction industry in last year, right? There's no sign of an upturn. The headline, and ABC um, website today has this headline Business is booming for liquidators, right? Because that's, you know, that's what happens. Like, like in a, um, uh, uh, if you have a, a mass pandemic, right? Undertakers is a booming industry. That doesn't mean your economy is healthy, right? Mm. It's the same sort of thing. So that's the all the signs for our banking system. What we're concerned about are, are, are as bad as they've ever been. Arguably, getting worse, and the, the signs are not looking good globally. And of course, that brings us to the cash ban, because if the government can get this through, they can trap people in the banking system, and so when they come up with policies like bail in to take our money to prop the banks up, we can't escape it. Or if they come up with policies like negative interest rates, if, the, if, the, if our reserve bank follows other central banks around the world to do that, same thing, right? We know, that's what we've exposed. So on that score, the fight on the cash ban has been very important. Craig, we've had a, a massive breakthrough because this week, Treasury, after being quiet ever since they had a deadline of mid-October for people to make submissions to the first part of the consultation on this ban, and regular viewers would know they went quiet. They mm. didn't say anything. And then um, two weeks ago, and I'll talk about this a bit more, Aaron Isherwood, your son, put in a freedom, like he got the results of a freedom of information request that he pursued, which showed that this organisation, Treasury, corruptly and secretly dismissed all the backlash they got. They admitted there were thousands, right? Over, over 3,500 submissions, they said, and they just dismissed it as a campaign by the CEC. Don't have to worry about that. And the anger at that was so big that people have been blasting Treasury and suddenly this week Treasury just dumped, I won't say all, almost all of the submissions on their website, right? This is quite extraordinary. Um, some People have to, you know, spot a victory when they see it, mm. right? The, this is 
you know, sometimes you can the, 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 the anger of the public can really make people or these institutions, even if they're trying to just cover their butts, right? It forces them to make these kinds of shifts, and that's what happens when you direct the anger in the in the um, uh, in the right place. So, now we know though, Craig. I have to say this: there's not they, they actually they make it sound like they put all three thousand. They, they said they've got three thousand six hundred twenty submissions. We've published all of them except the ones that were confidential or unpublishable, which basically means there's swear words in there or whatever, right? Um, uh, so they make it sound like they've done that. However, since we put out a release on this yesterday, we've been bombarded with people calling us saying, I checked, my submission's not in there, right? So remember a few months ago when we said we got wind that there were over 4,000 submissions? That's probably still true. It could be 5,000, Rob. We just don't yeah, know. That's right. That, that we know that they want to downplay this, and I've yeah. got some other evidence of that as well. Um, the, the Freedom of Information request. I have to, t I have to pay tribute to Aaron Isherwood here because... Aaron um, uh, is someone who has a, a, a dogged intention <laughs> to hold these people accountable, right? So, um, you know, I play a leading role in the office in, 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 the, in the campaign we've run, et cetera. And, 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 and when Treasury didn't do that, in a sense, I was moving on. But Aaron's not, he's not doing this from the standpoint of, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to um, sue these guys and, and make, them, make them say the right thing. He's just he's, he's sending them the message, you're not going to get away with treating the public with contempt, right? And he went to a lot of effort. And he's a very busy guy anyway, as you know. <laughs> he went to a lot of effort to pursue this freedom of information request. And this, it's this request that revealed this key bit of data that you know, we, we talked about on our show last week. You know, here's, the, here's the document revealed or with all the, all the, uh, the redactions, et cetera, that, that, that they've done. Um, we put on our show last week. This request showed the contempt of, of Treasury, and that's what really sparked people up, right? So I think... In my view, that had to be a factor in Treasury finally thinking they've got to come clean. The other factor is possibly Malcolm Roberts. Senator yeah. Malcolm Roberts put yeah, questions yeah. on notice in the Senate that get directed to Treasury, where are the submissions, mm -hmm. right? And suddenly, these things have been revealed. Now, most importantly, though, is this submission. And I've got a, got a copy of it here. Yeah. It's from KPMG. Now, KPMG... Are the we call them the architects of this cash ban, mm -hmm. Craig. The man who oversaw the Black Economy Task Force was the former global boss of KPMG, the highest ranking KPMG person from Australia ever, Michael Andrew, who now deceased. Um, KPMG has been lobbying hard for this ban in, 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 in numerous ways, including to, to lower the amount. Um, I'm going to go through what they say in this submission in a minute, but I want to point this out. This, their submission was made on the 12th of August. That's after that's that's two weeks after that's that's following two weeks of us hammering them. They're rolling this because we said from the beginning in press releases on t on our show on shows with Martin North etc. KPMG is the black economy. They are the they are the tax evasion um, experts and money laundering experts for the big end of town. That's what they do. The the the, the what they, they single out hairdressers and gardeners and um, personal trainers and tradies as the problem when it comes to tax evasion, yet what they do is billions of dollars more than what those small guys yeah, do. Yeah, through tax havens. Through tax havens. They run the world's tax havens, right? And we said this alone shows you this whole excuse for this ban is garbage. So we, we hammered them for two weeks. After two weeks, 12th of August, they put in this submission. Here's what it looks like. This is, this is the, the, the front of a submission from one of the biggest, most powerful, and richest financial institutions in the world. No letterhead. No colour, the, the colour printer ran out of ink, right? <laughs> Nothing. 
Just very bland KPMG submission, right? Um, what else is significant about it? On the Treasury website, they, have the, they list the submissions from organisations, and then they list the submissions from individuals that are non-confidential, right? And there's, there's, there's zip file after zip file after zip file filled with hundreds of submissions. KPMG's was not listed with the organisations. There was hidden in there in the K file with the individuals, right? This was an attempt to, be, to bury this. And what does it say? Well, it basically says three things. It shouldn't be a $10,000 limit. It should be a $2,000 limit. The limit should not be in the legislation. People would, regular viewers would know we've, we've emphasised this a lot. There's a difference between what's in the legislation and what's in the associated regulations because the legislation is hard to change the regulations are easy to change, mm. right? They say take the limit out of the, the legislation and put it in the regulation so it's easy to change. And the third thing they say is we should scrap the exemption for individual to individual transactions, right? This is um, them, th this is the thing that the public would be most alarmed at, the KPMG agenda. They have a conflict of interest because they're the coordinator for what's called the new payments platform the Reserve Bank has set up, right? Um, where if people stop using cash, they have to use everything electronically. We'll have to go through this new payments platform and a little cut of everything you do gets to go to the banks. It's a clear conflict of interest and they're hammering this. And why is Treasury hiding it? Well, like I said, these are the cash ban bandits, right? <laughs> They've been unmasked and they're ducking for cover. Everything, we've, we've, th th this is a sign of a lot of progress that we've made in the last little period fighting this ban so hard. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about something very positive. Welcome back to the Citizens Report, where we're discussing cash ban bandits unmasked and ducking for cover. And Craig, as we just said, the Treasury was forced to release most of the submissions, at least, that were made to them back in um, uh, August. Now what's key is to maximise the submissions that the Senate is looking at because if people were demoralised by the Treasury's actions and thinking, oh, that's no point, well, snap out of it. There was a point. We forced the Treasury to reveal most of them. We'll, we'll, we'll chase down the ones they haven't revealed, but now we've got to put the same amount of heat on the elected representatives. So the, the submissions are going to be key. Because this deadline closes today, people have to think in terms of escalating. How do we escalate um, this issue? Because the bill will be debated in the Senate after the 7th of February. We know that. Actually, the bill was introduced in the Senate on this week, yeah. right, on Monday. Um, and and the, when they introduced it, there was a formality and they said the debates adjourned until after the 7th of February. It already passed the lower house. Already passed the lower house. And then it goes, procedurally, it goes into the Senate for the Senate to deliberate on. It goes yep. through the first and second readings and now it's been adjourned to February when the report comes back from the committee. And this was unnecessary, by the way. This is still the government thumbing its nose at procedure. They, they could have waited to do all this until after the Senate inquiry. Mm. But that's okay. They've done it. So how do we escalate? Well, that's what people have to be thinking about. We can escalate this in numerous ways. Now's the time to go back to hitting the phones and sending emails. And don't just think... We know a lot of people are fired up out there. Do not just think in terms of your own local MP, right? You've got time. <laughs> think about this. You have time in the next few months to call every MP in Australia and register your opposition to this, and you should, because that will, that, the cumulative effect of thousands of people doing that will be huge. But one of the things we called for a little while ago was seeing the results of Craig. We, we, we had the idea of sending of delegations, people forming themselves in the delegations to go see MPs, and the results are brilliant. I just want to go through, through a few of them, because these are... 
I have, I've had numerous, not just one, but numerous um, politicians, staffers and ex-staffers tell me this is very effective. Yeah. An MP has a bunch of people turn up in his foyer, right, to complain about something. Um, that's going to make a big impact on them. So I think, I think before you start, Robbie, I just want to make a point. Look, people shouldn't have the idea that MPs know what goes on in their no. parliament. They have no idea. There's 160-odd bills passed every year in the parliament, yeah. right? And unless specific attention is drawn to yes. any one particular issue, it just goes under the radar, they accept the party's line and so forth. So what we've discovered with these delegations is that the politicians actually don't know what's going they, on. They, they have, have no idea. They have, they have to admit that. I'll, I'll go through those. And I also want to say, before I do, even though these are term MPs and from the House of Representatives, which has already voted on the bill, yeah. right, we should have as, as an objective not thinking, oh, that's, there's nothing they can do. No, no. They're part of party machines and the, part, the government is still in a position to pull this bill. That should yeah. be our objective. Pull it, yeah, right? And these MPs can have a say in that. So nine people... This week went and saw Warren Ench, the Liberal, in Cairns. They even got in the local paper, the Cairns Post. They told the paper they were going to do it, and they got an article in the Cairns Post. You can see on the, on the screen. Warren Ench came in all, all um, defensive of the cash ban, blustering away, etc. And these guys just kept hammering him with facts like the, neg the IMF pushing negative interest rates, etc. In multiple times in the meeting, dealing with these nine people, Warren Ench had to put his hands up and, and, and sort of uh, d d to defend himself. He, um, he claimed, though, at a certain point, he said um, he took photocopies of information on KPMG being fined for money laundering. Information he was obviously ignorant of. He admitted, quote, there's a lot of stuff I need to know. And he defended his position by saying he left school at a young age, doesn't have degrees, and takes his advice from the party, yeah. right? If that meeting had have happened before he voted, he might have been tempted to vote different or at least argue different with the party. In Dobell, there was, a, there was a, um, a delegation of six people went and saw Emma McBride, the, the Labor member for, De, for Dobell. She wouldn't say how she voted, right, because she was probably embarrassed to. She admitted her surprise when she first arrived in Parliament she, this year. She said um, she saw how much MPs are influenced by lobbyists, right, not constituents. And this, is, this is a point that she made in the meeting, which, of course, um, doesn't surprise us at all. Um, Twelve people... Uh, two days ago, went to meet Tony Zapier in, in Adelaide. Twelve people. This was a rather lengthy meeting, which actually got quite fiery at some times, we understand. He's never going to forget that meeting. Nine people are trying to get a meeting with Shane Newman in Blair in Queensland, and the staff asked, why are there so many of you? And, and the, the person setting up the meeting said, well, I can bring more, right? And this, this stuff will ring a bell with them, I can tell you. Um, six people met with Graham Perrett, Labor Party guy in um, uh, Queensland, Parrot, this is this is what Parrot said. He goes, uh, you know, when some guy described how he, his business means going out of town, and he has to deal in cash, you know, because they're away from, uh, you know, there's, there's just not the conveniences around. And Graham Parrot said, "Can't you take an FPOS machine?" Yeah. And of course, it's not going to work out there, right? This is the sort of stuff that, and he, what he copped back from the constituents, he's not going to forget, right? So we want to do a lot more of this. The Citizens Party is coordinating this. If you're prepared to join a delegation in your area, they can get quite big. Contact us on the toll-free number. We'll put you in touch with whoever's in your area. And we need to keep doing this and doing this and doing this all the way through to um, February, right? This is how we're going to change the balance of power in this parliament by making them acknowledge the people. Yep. All right, let's take a break. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. Finally... 
Dairy vote exposes ideological treachery killing Australia. So this is an update, Craig, from last week. Pauline Hanson's bill to for a milk floor, a floor price for milk failed in the Senate by one vote, thirty-one to thirty. Mm. The Liberals, when they got up to argue against it, they compared it to the wool floor price in the 1980s, which I think is ridiculous because that was about an export market. Most of what we're talking about with this kind of milk is just domestic consumption, right? However, I want to take issue with this guy. Let me play this clip of Senator Cory Bernardi explaining why his was the deciding vote. What's wrong with a floor price for milk that would go to $1.50 and that extra between the dollar and fifty goes right back to the dairy provider? I tell you what's wrong with it, Paul. The siren call of socialism. So what you saw then, Craig? Are we back in the fifties, Robbie? Yeah, <laughs> no, he is. They're stuck in the cowboy. It's ideological claptrap, yeah. right? We've had forty years of economics run the way Corey Bernardi believes, yep. and what it's given us is not the free market nirvana. They said it's given us. Well, let's just take Australia, the biggest and most concentrated retail duopoly in the world, mm-hmm. Coles and Woolies. He thinks, I'm defending the free market. No, he's defending the opposite of the free market. He's defending a duopoly, which, are, which controls 80% of retail in everything. Groceries, liquor, petrol, hardware. And all Pauline's bill would have done is force that duopoly to go back to paying what they used to pay before they used the charade. Sorry, I don't believe they're competitors. The charade of a, of a price war to drive down milk to less than water. And I have to make this point. When he talks about, oh, that's socialism. You know what else he believes is socialism? A minimum wage. Mm-hmm. They also believe that's socialism, right? This is rubbish. These are standards that the, the, the majority of the people don't think like Cory Bernardi. He's a dinosaur clinging to the neoliberalism that's brought us to, that, that most people are rejecting, but he's still clinging to it. And, and meanwhile, the dairy farmers have to suffer. But Craig, this relationship between economic theory, the free market, and actually protecting a, a great big corporate power, is, which is a real issue, has a long history. You know as much about it as anything. Uh, where does it start? Well, Robbie, it goes back to the East India Company, right? This, this, this conglomerate that pushed the idea of free trade. Now, free trade... Which, to, when it was the biggest monopoly in the history of the world. That's right. It pushes the idea of free trade and all the policies, as you say, have been in, on the agenda for the last 40 years. Now, once, what's stunning is I've heard MP after MP get up in the parliament and talk about comparative advantage. Yep. This is basically saying to you people out there in the, you know, viewing this program, we have to shut down any interest we have in manufacturing, any interest in developing high technology because we can't compete with other countries. In other words, we're not supposed to have a manufacturing industry that can look after our own people. Because our, our wages are too high... You know, all of this sort of stuff. We're not compete with India or Bangladesh. And this is the same with the dairy industry. You've got to shut down the dairy industry because we can't compete with other countries New like Zealand, New Zealand for example. Yeah. Right, because and therefore you lose incredibly important industries. And we have that, comparative advantage at one thing, digging resources. And that's right. But you can't eat iron ore or coal, Robbie, but you right. can drink milk. And the problem is this is a local domestic market that should be protected because then we can have access to high quality products, dairy products, uh, and we don't have to import them. I mean, the problem is that you know, the idea of importations of cheap goods is part of this philosophy, but it has the effect of literally shutting down local domestic and, output. And, and milk is not toys from China. No. Milk, you've got to drink it fresh, right? Like, and meat production, all, all this, these primary industries have to be protected and for our own benefit. Now, it takes a while for these industries to be wound up. Like We've had 20, 30 years of this. We've smashed the dairy industry and now we're starting to see 
the, the calamity where we may not have one for very much longer. Yeah, and we're not going to have these politicians for much longer if they stick to this Absolutely. ideological claptrap because the winds are changing and blowing. Craig, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks, thanks to the viewer for tuning in. Fight and escalate on the cash ban. Tune in next week for more of the Citizens Report.